On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them, and the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven, eleven and all the rest. Our souls cry, hallelujah. Our hearts cry, praise the Lord. Our minds are wondering. Our bodies are glad to be here. With heart and soul, mind and strength, we bring our worship and our wonder. We bring our joy, our delight, our celebration, and our questions and our stillness, our bewilderment, and we stand in amazement before the promise of this day. For the Lord is risen, he is risen indeed. And we do not know what that means, except that it means life and hope and God with us. And so we come to bring our thanks. We come to bring our worship. We come to bring all that we are in order that all that we are may be raised and redeemed. We do not have the words for what today means. We do not know how to speak the fullness of the joy or the depth of the amazement. We do not know how even to ask the question, let alone speak an answer. But we come because we cannot stay away from the promise of this day. And so we pray as we come, stand amongst us risen Lord and speak to each one of us what we need to hear from you of life and freedom and your blessing. Speak to us 
as you spoke to those first disciples, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. And send us out to live in the joy and the glory of the promise of this day. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 58. The Resurrection Body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will be all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. We're also delighted to welcome Luciano, uh, a good friend who is able to be with us sometimes, and we're very glad that you're able to be with us on this special celebration day. Luciano is going to sing for us now as our anthem, a song of, or a hymn, a piece of celebration and delight of God's uh, glory and God's blessing.
I'm now going to read from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. It's titled, Jesus Cures a Blind Man at Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his eyes, his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, do not even go into the village. So it's Easter morning. It's the glad day of celebration. It's the dawn of a new age. It's the fulfillment of all the promises. Have you listened to the news? Have you looked out of the windows as you made the journey here this morning? It doesn't actually look that different. Everything's going on just the same. For most people, it's just the same world, just a normal day. Well, there is the fact it's a holiday and there's this wonderful excess of chocolate, but basically it's an ordinary day. Keep moving on, nothing to see here. Theologians talk about today as being the center of human history. The day that defines the nature of truth and life, reveals the being of God, the meaning of everything. Whereas when I look out of the window, when I listen to the news, when I walk in the street, when I reflect what's going on in my life and within my heart, it's all pretty ordinary, really, and it's much what it was yesterday. What do you see? Where do you look? inside with its familiar objects and its beauty and its satisfaction or beyond into the out there the as yet unvisited beach the limitless open inviting sky and sea seeing is a highly developed skill one that most of us who have no sight defect take for granted. But if you've had children or have had anything to do with infants as they develop, you will remember that we need to learn to see. We need to learn how to interpret what our eyes encounter. One of the expert books I consulted on this has this paragraph. Babies learn to see over a period of time, much like they learn to walk and talk. They are not born with all the visual abilities they need in life the ability to focus their eyes, to move them accurately, and to use them together as a team must be learned. Also, they need to learn how to use the visual information the eyes send to their brain in order to understand the world around them and interact with it appropriately. And the book then goes on to describe the ways in which babies learn to process the information that their eyes bring in. Somebody who's had a sight defect from birth and then is given sight through surgery also has to learn to see even if they already know their world and their surroundings well through touch and sound and encounter, making sense of shape and colour takes time. 
One of my favourite books in my teens was about a woman and her relationship with her guide dog. She wrote very movingly about how being assigned a dog gave her independence and allowed her to work and to socialise and to live fully. And then she had surgery. And she wrote very funnily about the shock of seeing this dog, which looked grotesque and frightening and strange and bore no relation to her previous perception through touch and sound. She had to learn to see. And this man whom Jesus healed of his blindness couldn't yet make sense of what he was seeing. He saw people like trees walking around. Didn't make sense. It wasn't as he had previously known the world through the senses he had. He couldn't make it work. He couldn't yet relate to or interact with the world he could not yet see fully. His brain made sense of the information gathered in in the only way it could, but it wasn't accurate. He hadn't yet got enough experience and enough repetition and pattern to see fully. We learn to see by pattern, by repetition, by consistency and recurrence. And resurrection has not happened before. It does not fit our way of seeing. It makes no connections in our brains. It cannot be slotted in to the regular configuration or structure or understanding. That man in Bethsaida saw people like trees walking around. That was the only model he had. I grant you it's not a normal reading for Easter Day. But it seems to be one that fits perfectly. When they went to the tomb, those friends of Jesus, some of them alone, some together, some at pace, some reluctantly, it depends which bit you read. But what did they see? It was not yet the risen Lord. How could they? They had no model. They had no pattern, no way of making that make sense in the world. They saw an empty tomb. They saw something they could understand, but it was not yet the fullness of what was coming. They saw, well, the story suggests they saw angels, but the words say they saw men because they knew what that looked like. I can see people like trees walking around. They saw an empty tomb. They saw the cloth folded up. Those were all things they knew and could recognize, but how could they see alive somebody they knew to be dead? They don't know how to do that. They don't know how to make sense of it. They can't see it. When the women and later the men went to the tomb, when they heard what the angel said, when they met the risen one and recognized or didn't that it was Jesus, here was their invitation to stay looking at what they knew, a tomb, a story they'd taken a part of in betrayal, in death, loss, grief, making the best of things. To stay with that or to look beyond. To look to the place they hadn't visited yet. To the great, open, limitless, inviting life of resurrection and love. To look differently. To learn to see something new. To discover that today is not just a day like any other. And so it is for us. But, but, we know it's not as straightforward as we sometimes make it sound, as we sometimes want it to be. 
Just believe in the resurrection, move into the new life, the new hope, that open, inviting space, and it will all make sense. And all the clutter and the confusion, all the muddle and mess of the lives we currently live will be swept up, swept aside, transformed. We will be fully renewed. We want to be able to see it clearly, without blurring, without uncertainty. And today, this morning, as we sing the hymns and celebrate and tell the stories again and rejoice that the long night of Lent and the harsh pains of the story of Holy Week are over, it does and indeed it should feel like that. But we know we're not going to. We know, because for many of us, we have lived this over and over through the years. We know it is not going to stay like this. That there are still everyday things of life to get through. The person whose health frightens us will still be ill. The problem at work that seems insoluble will still be there next week. The hurt we have suffered for years will still trouble us. The besetting sin or addiction or failing that makes us ashamed will still be around tomorrow morning. We see people like trees walking. We can sort of see resurrection, but we can't really see it because it doesn't make sense to us yet. It's too strange. It's too out there. It's too much. We can't live out there in the broad blue sky and sea. We're still in here seeing the stuff that we know, the clutter and the cupboards and the beauty of the flowers, people like trees walking. We can see something, but it doesn't quite make sense. Indeed, it doesn't make sense at all at one level. If we'd read the account that Mark gives of the resurrection, we'd have read this story of not getting it, of not knowing what's being seen. It's the resurrection story uh, nearest to the man seeing people like trees. Mark tells it this way, when Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they'd been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. It's that simple. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were afraid. They couldn't make sense of what they were seeing. They had no way to understand it or fit it into what they knew, and they were afraid. It was a world in which what they saw made no sense and had no context or meaning. And yet, and yet in that painting, the room is lit up, is illuminated, indeed is flooded with the light, and it is the light from beyond. We may not yet be able to go out into the bright blue beyond of whatever it is out there, but we live in its light. The room is full of light from sky and sea and infinity that is outside the window. It's in that light that the room itself is visible. 
We may still be in the room, but we can see, we can look beyond and glimpse something and we can see by the light from out there. We may not yet be able to grasp the meaning of resurrection. We may not yet be able to fully integrate it into our lives and our living. Paul was struggling to make sense of it when he was writing to the Corinthians and who knows what they made of that passage when they first read it. We may not yet grasp it, but it comes to us. It lights up our lives and our world if we're open to it. And that can be a beautiful thing. The room in the picture is lovely, and it's lovely because of the light, the color, the vitality that are shown up by the light that floods in from the infinity beyond. And so for the man who could see people walking around like trees, Jesus doesn't blame him. Jesus doesn't send him off to sort it out, doesn't tell him he's not trying hard enough. He's right there with him, and he touches him again. It takes time, and it takes presence, and it takes Jesus' touch for the newness to make sense. It takes time, and it takes presence, and it takes Jesus' activity in our lives, the resurrection, to take hold and make sense and to shape who we are and how we live. Today we catch a glimpse, a foretaste of resurrection. We see it, as it were, at the corner of our eye, through a misty window around a corner. We may not see it straight on. We may not see it fully and completely. We may not see anything that makes sense, but we catch a hint of what it might be. And so we might learn to see. But it's not an exhortation. It's not try harder, grit your teeth and really believe. It's not even take a leap out of rationality, abandon the common sense that you've been endowed with. Rather, it's daring to trust that what we see and encounter is already lit up by the light of resurrection, that our room is already filled with the light of infinite love and life that is the meaning of today and every day. And so we can practice seeing it, just as the infant learns to see by seeing and playing and getting it wrong and then eventually getting it right. Just as the man who could see people looking like trees walking around trusted Jesus enough to say the truth, I can't yet see, and let Jesus act so that he could look intently and begin to see truly. For some years I've joked that I give up hope for Lent. The coincidence of Lent and part, uh, being part of the darkest season of the year, to say nothing of the sometimes misery of being a Scottish rugby fan, has made this seem to be the only reasonable option. To let go of hoping that the world is going to be okay, that life will triumph, that there is love and possibility. It's a joke, but there is some truth in it. It can be hard to hope in our world as it is. There is, when we are honest, too much pain, too much suffering and insecurity, too much evil done intentionally or accidentally to make maintaining a hopeful attitude easy. There are even times when hoping can seem like willful blindness, refusing to see truly, intentionally ignoring the facts as they are, that many people are born not into comfort or flourishing, but into pain into hardship and oppression, into abuse and cruelty, and they never have the chance to discover the depth and richness of the kind of life we aspire to and want others to have. And one of the reasons why believing in resurrection, in trusting that the huge claims of this day have anything to say to us that actually matters, that has any traction, that's not just wishful thinking, 
One of the reasons it's hard is that there is still so much grief and struggle. How can there be resurrection if what we see around us is still so deadly? And there is a sense in which learning to see resurrection is to do with giving up hope. For all too often, our hope is centered on and shaped by our understanding and our expectation, even our decision of what it ought to look like and what we ought to see. We can hope for a form of peace that we can make, a type of love that we can demand, a shape of justice that is ours to dispense. We hope for a world to be as we want it, as we can imagine it, as we can see it in imagination, based on what we already know. But what we see is people like trees walking around. We don't see the fullness of resurrection, what we will be, what the world will be in redemption and in the kingdom. And what we're invited to do is to learn to see not what we expect or even what we hope for based on what we know. We need to learn to see as that man began to once he looked intently, once he had allowed Jesus to touch him again and give him a true vision of what was there. Like the infant, we need to practice seeing. We practice in worship when we make huge statements and offer huge affirmations, just trying them on to see how they fit. Let them play around with our thinking. We practice as we receive bread and wine and share with one another, as we meet with one another in this place of free gift. We practice when we pray. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and give ourselves in imagination and will to the coming kingdom and seek to see what it might look like. And we practice in other forms of prayer too when we choose to believe that there is a presence with us of life that is unstoppable, of love that is unshakable, of hope that is ungive-upable. And we see ourselves and others changed through the practice. And we practice in other parts of life. When we take time in the day just to look at what's going on in the light of eternity, of life, of love, that is this story. What does this encounter mean? What does this challenge offer us? What does this joy point to? We practice when we exercise love. For then we are looking with the eyes of God, the way God looks at the world. We practice when we seek justice. For then we're trying on a world in which the kingdom has come, in which resurrection is the truth, and trying it on gives us ways to try and make it happen. We practice when we take the risk of letting something die in order that something new can be raised up. We take a risk when we let a bit of our own story be redeemed by letting go of a grudge or a vision of ourselves that we want to show the world or ourselves or when we stop hiding who we are in case what's seen is unbearable. We practice when we forgive because then we discover that there is life beyond the death of the hurt or the betrayal or whatever it is that we can let go of. We practice when we allow ourselves to be forgiven and offer our repentance as we discover there is life beyond the death we experience in accepting that we have sinned. And each time we practice, each glimpse we catch of resurrection helps us see it more clearly all around us. Each time we notice that what we fear is deathly is actually, in grace and mercy, redeemed into life. We are seeing resurrection more clearly. We're learning to see it more fully.
And the more we see it, the more we can trust it. And the more we can trust it, the more we can live as if it is true. And the more we can live as if it is true, the more true it is in our lives and in the lives of those for whom we live. And thus the kingdom comes. And it will come. For there is no stopping it. That is the promise of today. The sky and sea of infinity, that as yet unvisited beach, the light that fills the room, that shows it in its beauty and its complexity, they are the promise that reality in God's love is greater, is so much greater than anything we have yet seen. And while we may not yet see it in its fullness, still its light and its love, its hope, floods our life when the windows are open. So here's the invitation of Easter. Open the windows. Dare to look out. To look beyond seeing people like trees walking and see what might actually be that's going on. Practice seeing the life that is given to defeat death and see how it floods our lives and changes how everything looks. And enjoy it and celebrate it and trust it. And live it as far as you can. For here it is. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, giver of new life, bringer of resurrection hope, we pray for a world where death is dominant and finality is feared. We pray for those known to us who are struggling to live with a diagnosis of terminal illness either for themselves or someone dear to them. We pray that each day will be a gift of grace and that in the midst of pain and sorrow will be found moments of goodness that point to your steadfast and unfailing love which casts out all fear. Lord of new life, hear our prayers for resurrection. We pray for those who have been victimised by war and terrorist outrage. We pray for peace and for reconciliation between peoples who struggle to relate in ways other than through the lens of death. And this weekend we pray particularly for the people of Palestine. May those who see the death of others as the solution to problems be granted a glimpse of the precious gift of life which you give to each human soul. May those who live in fear of death at the hands of others find courage and peace and release from their fears.
Lord of new life, hear our prayers for resurrection. We pray for those who are victims of natural disasters. We remember those who are facing the impact of climate change, those whose land is not the same as it used to be, and who now struggle to survive in the face of increased flooding or unpredictable weather patterns. Lord of all creation, we join our voices with the groaning of our planet, and we pray for those who work to bring life to those who live in difficult and dangerous places. Lord of new life, hear our prayers for resurrection. We pray for those who transform communities, those whose lives tell stories of resurrection in the midst of the ordinary. We give thanks for those who live lives of love, justice, reconciliation and care for others. We pray for those who live the values of your dawning kingdom of new life for all. And we commit ourselves anew to your service, that together we might show ourselves ready to live according to your will. Lord of new life, hear our prayers for resurrection. And finally, we pray for ourselves. We own before you our fears for our own lives, the inevitability of our own mortality. We confess the many deaths that blight our days, deaths of hope, ambition, love, compassion and desire. Grant us today the gift of renewed life, restore us to life and bring us to fullness in you. May our lives become gifts of resurrection to others. May new life come through us. May our lives make your new life known and real in this world. And in our praying, we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ. The good news that death is not the final answer to life that the good news of resurrection is indeed good news for all people. Amen. <laughs>